Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, is there more? I mean, there has to be, right? I mean, if you've never had that question kind of come out of your mouth out loud, you've probably had that little conversation inside of here. Because we all want more. I mean, even if we have pretty much everything that we need, and even if we have more than many other people around us, we still want more. Let's be honest. We want more friends, more money, inflation, right? And more status, more vacations. We want more influence. And as Americans, we want more comfort. We want more respect. And all of us want more love. We all want more. And if we're honest, we're going to dig deep down. The reason why many people want more is due to three realities. Any one of these true in your own life? The, the first word called ungratefulness. Is that set in? One person said it this way. You can have all the money and achievements in the world, but if you are grateful for nothing, it's like no matter what you make or do, life simply will not get any better. It's like everything falls into the black hole of things we take for granted. Do you have such a black hole in your life? Have you taken a lot of things for granted? The second thing that can cause people to want more is this word called comparison. Comparison. I mean, many of us fall easily into that trap, I think. I mean, for me, it was about a year ago, I ran into this guy I hadn't seen in a year due to COVID. And so as soon as I saw him, I walked up to him, I gave him this hug, and I asked him how his family was doing. And he looked at me and he said, Phil, throughout this pandemic, there have been winners and there have been losers. I've been doing so well at my work that the company bought me a brand new car. And then I did even better at my work and the company bought my wife a brand new car. So we're doing really well. Well, I walked away from that conversation not necessarily knowing anything about his children or how his family was doing, but I did have an idea of what he viewed as success. Then as I was thinking about that, I walked outside, walked down those steps to the parking lot, and then I approached my own car, a car that was built, you know, way back in 2018. And I looked at that car and I thought, you know, it's a nice car, but it's not a new car. And if he has two new cars, what's wrong with me having just one? I'm glad to say that I'm the proud owner of a 2018 car still today. Uh, it, it serves my needs. I don't need anything more. But I'll tell you what, comparison, boy, it can set in very, very quickly. And it can be harmful. Why? Well, one person said the demands we place on ourselves when we compare ourselves to others may sometimes serve as motivations for change. However, they are more likely to lead to feelings of diminished self-worth. By comparing ourselves to others, we're negating our own road and demanding that the past be different than what it was. So do you compare yourself with others? Well, this takes us to the third thing that can cause us to want more, forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Think about it. As each one of us takes one new step after another every single day, it can be downright easy to forget the steps that led us to where we are now. Quite easily we can forget where we've come from and in so doing we can forget our past struggles which really inhibits us from helping others with the similar struggles they're facing right now 
And we can forget the blessings that pave the way to our current reality, which can cause us to completely miss the blessings we're experiencing right now. I've told you before a couple times, when I'm not doing well, I'm you know, having an off day, I'm not seeing things quite straight, I'm known to listen to a country song or two. And uh, one of my favorite bands, Rascal Flats, they sing it this way. Every long lost dream led me to where you are. Others that broke my heart, they are like northern stars, pointing me on my way into your loving arms. This much I know is true. God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. Have you been forgetful? Have you forgotten how God has used that broken road in your own life? And has that caused you to overlook the current blessings you're experiencing right now? Be honest with yourself. Are you looking for more? Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us. You love us despite us. You have such amazing love. And as we begin this new year, it launches new beginnings in our minds and in our hearts. But Lord, we can't experience the new that you have for us, the truly the more that you have for us when we're ungrateful. So Lord, forgive us for any ungratefulness we have in our lives. You've given us so much. Thank you. We've been a forgetful people. We can forget what you've done. We step into tomorrow and the next day and we just forget the good things and we fail to give you credit for them. Forgive us, Lord. And boy, can we compare. Mm, It is so hard not to. In a world where everything's new, people drive new every two and they get the next biggest house and whatever it is, Lord, we compare ourselves. Lord, forgive us when you have given us everything that we have. It's all a gift from you and we thank you, Lord. So Lord, if we dive into this church-wide series in the book of Colossians, have your way in us. Have your way through us, Lord. And may we experience more, more and more and more and more of you. May you be central in our lives, we pray. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. You see, everything I said so far is so pertinent to the church in Colossae. You see... The Colossians, uh, this, this church, they wanted more. They wanted more. I mean, you see, the city of Colossae was close in proximity to two other very popular places. The first is Herapolis. You ever heard of Herapolis? I mean, as much as I studied the Bible through the years, this was kind of a place kind of unheard of to me. It was a town known for health, pleasure, and relaxation. Now, a year before I moved here to Cincinnati, I actually visited Herapolis. I was there. And I'll tell you what, in, in what resides in modern-day Turkey, what was astounding to me was it's still one of the most you know, unique places in the world, and here's why. Because in the middle of desert, dust, and a bunch of rocks, suddenly you look up and you see what looks like a ski mountain. That's what I thought it was. A mountain way up high covered in snow, I thought, that is so cool. So we're driving up higher and higher, getting closer and closer to it. And when we did, I realized it wasn't snow. It was actually white sheets of calcium. And then when we got way up to the top, I could see all these kinds of natural hot springs. I mean, they are literally all over the place. And people from all over the world, I discovered, because it was packed when I was there, still travel to wade in these waters because they're believed to have healing powers. 
For decades, hundreds of years, people have said they've been healed of various ailments just by wading in those waters. So above Colossae stood this amazing place that everyone wanted to visit. And then lower downhill the valley, you could find Laodicea, a city known for its commercial trade and politics. I was there as well. It was a fascinating place. In fact, you may remember or recall the name of this town from what's referred to in Revelation 3. It's here that Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. You see, many people miss the significance of those words because of the historical significance. We don't really study it. If you, if you look on a modern-day map, you're likely going to find in this area Heropolis. Uh, you're going to most likely find even Laodicea, you might find in the map. But you likely, in a modern-day map, won't find Colossae. It's further downhill. So think about this. The hot water from Heropolis would flow on down to Laodicea by way of tunnels that they put in place. In fact, if you visit there today, you can still see some of these tunnels And so while the hot water up there was naturally piping hot, by the time it went down the mountain and reached Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. And by the time it went even further down the valley and reached Colossae, it was downright cold. Now, if you're like me, I like hot water. We have a hot tub. I like cold water, but I have little use for lukewarm water. That's why Jesus goes on to say, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, Jesus speaks metaphorically and historically and theologically when drawing a comparison between the temperature of the water in Laodicea and the spiritual fervor in our own lives. Historically, though, Laodicea was a very advanced city of that time. In fact, if you look at some of the remains and you can look it up online, it's clear that it was a very impressive place. So while Heropolis was this famous city known for its healing powers, and Laodicea was this bustling city known for commercial trade and politics, Colossae was known for not much at all. And that's why they were tempted to want more. More of what all those other people had. You see, Colossae was a pagan city which included both Gentiles and Jews. And around that time, there were about 11,000 Jewish freedmen or former slaves. Now, an earthquake happened there around AD 17, and as a result, the town became kind of like a backwater village. It was never fully able to reinvent itself. And so while people lived there, it wasn't nearly as popular or luxurious as Laodicea or Herapolis. In fact, here's an image of Colossae as it stands today. That's it. Who's going to board a plane, pay all the money to visit there with me? You want to come along with me to visit that place? Probably not. So think about this. Given all this information, just imagine then how the Christians in Colossae must have felt. They had little. I mean, but their basic needs were met. They had embraced Jesus, and yet it seemed like Jesus was one of the only blessings that they had. And so while they found forgiveness, community, and life as followers of Jesus, over time they began to forget much of what Christ had done for them. And once they started to forget, really, the various blessings that God had given them, ungratefulness set in like cancer and began to spread throughout their community. And then to make matters worse, all they needed to do was look up, look high up to the mountain to see those mountains of white and be reminded of the prosperity that other people were experiencing. 
And so they naturally started to compare. They compared their cold reality to a vacation spot where others reclined in the hot tubs. The result, all their ungratefulness, forgetfulness of comparison began to cloud their view of Jesus. And so they started thinking that Jesus had done everything for them that he, that, that he could. And as a result, they wanted more. More. Jesus was cool, but they wanted more. They thought they needed more. Can you relate? I prayed earlier, but be honest, comparison, has it set in? Ungratefulness, forgetfulness. You see, when these things really define us, we don't realize sometimes that they do, but this is our worldview. There are so many other things out there that become our Heropolis. Everything looks tantalizing. Everything looks pretty interesting. Could maybe change my life. And that's why on the website you're gonna find these words. Live for more. What we're saying is live for more than the other things you think are gonna bring you more because the more you pursue them, you're just gonna end up with less. Live for more. Live for more. So the question behind it is this. Are you, am I, are we pursuing the right kind of more? Our journey through Colossians is gonna provide some answers for us. And as we kind of launch into that today, I wanna to give some credit because I have been journeying on my own for the past six months in preparation for this series. And there are some different people that have really impacted my life as I've been reading and studying. People like Chuck Swindoll. He has long been one of my favorite pastors on the face of the planet. And then a guy you may not have heard of, Michael DeFazio. An interesting study in Colossians. Then N.T. Wright and Douglas Moo, just to name a few. I just want to give credit to them because their resources for me have been so helpful. The truth for all of us, though, is whenever we become dissatisfied with what we have, and let's be honest, sometimes we get there, we are prone then to not just pursue more, what we think is something better, we are really inviting half-truths into our lives, or no truths at all. We live in a culture that's selling this and selling that, and it sounds tantalizing to us. When we want more than what God has given us, it can be downright dangerous. And this was the case for those in Colossae. In fact, there were three heresies in Colossae that were rising up that Paul addresses. First is false philosophy. It denied the sufficiency of Christ. It said, basically, you know, Jesus is fine. You just need more than him. He's a great starting point, a launching point, but you just need more. Secondly was Judaistic ceremonialism, saying you want more in your life? Well, you got to get circumcised. You know, food regulations, you got to watch what you eat and observance of special days. You better be there when those days come up if you want more. And then there was this thing called angel worship. False worship, which minimized the significance of Christ. And 2,000 years later, we're still fascinated with angels. I mean, on Facebook, somebody dies and they'll post, oh, another angel in heaven. And no, 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 we, we, we don't become angels. Uh, there are angels. We're not them, never will be them. We are God's you know, creation, sons and daughters, and, and we'll be with him as family in heaven, but we do not become angels. And so even 2,000 years later, we tend to still glorify angels in a way they were never meant to be glorified. But when the apostle Paul heard all of these things, what did he do? He sat down and he wrote a letter. 
Now, I want you to keep in mind that Paul did not plant this church. I mean, he planted many other churches, did not plant this one. In fact, he had never really met anyone in this church. How could he? He was under house arrest in Rome. So we know this because Paul writes in Colossians 2. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And so while Paul had never met them, he had heard about their reputation. And so he wanted to encourage them. And so in verse 4, he says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So in just a few verses, Paul is not just encouraging them. He's reminding them of their story. You see, Paul had heard about their tendency towards forgetfulness. So he's reminding them of all that Jesus had done for them in the past and was doing in their lives right now. You see, reminding people of where they've come from is always a great strategy to to get them to stay the course. And Paul wanted them to stay the course with Jesus. And so he's basically saying, okay, you think you've tapped all that Jesus can do for you? You think the time has come to turn elsewhere for more? What you really need is the right kind of more. More of what God has already given you. You need more and more and more and more of Jesus. We all do. But before we can grasp more of him, we need to take an honest look at how we view ourselves, friends. You see, like the Christians in Colossae, we can become confused. And that's why Paul really begins this epistle to the Colossians by defining them and reminding them of who they were. Think about this. Who we think we are largely determines who we will become. Who we think we are largely determines who we will become. Think about this in your own life. For example, if I think I'm dumb, well, I'm not going to seek future conversations with others. After all, what could I possibly add to the conversation? If I think I'm ugly, I might tend to think that others don't want to be with me. Because after all, there's so many other people that can make their life more beautiful. I can't. And if I think I'm average at everything, I'm going to tend to avoid contributing to anything. After all, there's so many others who are so talented that can make you more successful. Not me. And on the other side of things, if I think I'm successful and attractive, I'll tend to want others to focus on me rather than what Christ wants to do in and through me. After all, there's not a lot left for God to do given who I am and how I look. And if I think I already have more because I have more than many others, I'm likely to be self-sufficient rather than Christ-sufficient. After all, I already possess what other people want. And if I think my life is meaningful because my schedule is always packed, well, I'll be more likely to keep others at a distance rather than make room to help meet their needs. Who we think we are largely determines who we will become. And Paul knew this. And that's why he started this epistle by reminding them, by reminding you of your worth in God's eyes. Here's how he did it. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, here it is, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
Now, do you see what Paul's doing here? Do you? I mean, do you hear what Paul is saying here? Years ago, I was flying back from Colorado where we were skiing. And, and so I'm boarding the plane. Now, back then, you have to go back a few years now, you couldn't watch a movie in the backside of the seat in front of you. So you had to be strategic ahead of time about how you're going to spend your time on the flight. And so after I would check through security, I was going you know, to one of those shops. I'd get myself a little snack, a drink, and then I would get myself a magazine or two. Magazines, you remember those things? Like pieces of paper all stapled together with like pictures and stories. Remember those things? Magazines. Well, I'd get myself a couple and then I'd read them on the plane. And then when the plane landed, I'd throw them in the trash. Magazines. Well, on this particular flight, I opened up one of those magazines and I started to read about how Steve Jobs had returned to Apple to once again help lead the organization that he had started. And I was struck as I read about those colored iMacs. I don't know if you remember those, but I thought, man, those are attractive. I think they're going to sell like hotcakes. And so when I got home, I purchased some Apple stock that I held for a while, but I should have held for like a lot longer. (laughs) Different story, right? Anyway, around that same time I got home, I turned on the TV and I saw this Apple commercial that revolutionized everyone's world. You might remember it. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Steve Jobs, 1997. In fact, if you watch that commercial, it's his voice reading those words. Here's to the crazy ones. What a captivating way to start. Well, long before Steve Jobs wrote that statement to the world, the Apostle Paul desired to revolutionize Colossae's world. And so he starts basically with this phrase, here's to the holy ones. Here's to the holy ones. And Paul says, to God's holy people in Colossae. What does that mean? Holy, of course, means set apart. And so Paul, he's writing this this group of discouraged, forgetful, ungrateful, comparison-oriented Christians. And he's saying, you, you have been set apart by God for a purpose. You are not like everyone else. You see, God in his grace has made you radically different. So don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are because you, you are the holy ones. So pursue more of his righteousness for you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But here's the deal. You'll never live this way. You'll never live differently until you start seeing yourself in this way. Do you? Do you see yourself this way? See, Paul was encouraging them not to forget their story. He was encouraging them not to forget the road of blessing, the past road that led them to where they were then. And what was that past road of blessing? Well, walk back with me even further in time. Because after freeing their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, God told Moses to share these words with his band of Jewish radicals. He said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and as a result, you will be a holy nation. Here's to the holy ones. I want you to remember now, these words are spoken just before he gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments. Just before. And he did that because he wanted them to live differently from all the other nations around them. God didn't want them looking like everyone else. After all, they were the holy ones. As a kingdom of priests, they were different. They were radical. They were set apart. And they were holy. And that was the road of blessing that led the Colossian Christians to where they were. And so then Paul speaks similar words to them now. This renegade group of followers, he's saying, well, you might live in Colossae now. God has called you to live in Christ for all time. So don't forget who you are. You are the holy ones. What does that mean for us? Well, we live in Cincinnati now. God has called us to live in Christ every day, every way. Friends, do not forget, you are the holy ones. Do you see yourself that way? Are you living out of that truth, that reality? So Paul basically is asking the Christians back then. He's asking you. He's asking everyone watching online. He's asking, you want more? Then seek the right kind of more. Go after more and more and more of Jesus. And how are we going to do that in this journey together? Well, the journey of more starts with doctrine in chapter 1. Christ's preeminence declared. It's declared. And it's declared, and we're going to see in chapter 1, in the gospel. It's declared in redemption. It's declared in creation. It's declared in the church. It's declared in Paul's ministry. And then based on this foundation, Paul is very strategic here. He moves from the subject of doctrine to the subject of danger. Because that's what they were in. Jesus was fine, but he wasn't enough. They wanted more. And whenever we find ourselves in that space, we open ourselves up to half-truths or no truths at all. There's so many things the culture wants to sell us we'll easily buy. And that's why it leads to Christ's preeminence defended in chapter 2. And Paul says, beware of false philosophies. They're going to bring you down. Beware of Judaistic ceremonialism. You're not going to find more by eating right and participating in festivals. That's not where it's at. And be, beware of man-made disciplines. Oh, because they're ever-changing in our ever-changing world. All of these are going to cause you to veer off course. And that's why, friends, once we're rooted in faith, and then we know how to defend our faith, Paul then gives us a vision of where this faith will lead us. That leads to Christ's preeminence demonstrated, demonstrated in personal purity. We're going to talk about our own lives, what it looks like to live it, live it beautifully before others. Christ's preeminence demonstrated in Christian relationships and how we treat one another. And of course, demonstrated in the home and how we live as a family together, husband and wife, kids. It's demonstrated in daily work, in sharing the gospel, and then in serving one another. Friends, as we pursue more and more of Jesus together, we're going to see this theme reemerge over and over again. Jesus is preeminent and all-sufficient. Will you say that with me? 
Jesus is preeminent and all-sufficient. Not like you, like you believe it. Jesus is preeminent and all-sufficient. So is there more? Well, that's the question millions of people were asking as they watched Damar Hamlin fall lifeless to the ground last Monday night. Prior to that moment, many of those people, they really didn't pray that often or some didn't pray at all. Others even mocked those who chose to pray. That was until they watched Damar fall lifeless to the ground. See, it was in that moment that people all over this country realized that their version of more, whatever it was, could never help him. If Damar had any hope at all, they needed to seek help from the only one who could truly provide him the more that he so desperately needed. So all across this nation, people began falling to the ground before God on their knees. Agnostics, atheists, religious people, Christians. In fact, you could even join in prayer with an ESPN commentator as he led millions of people in prayer on live TV. Friends, let's keep praying for Damar and let's start praying with that kind of fervor for our own nation. Is there more? Oh, there sure is. Through every step of this journey before us, Paul's gonna keep telling us, live for more. Live for more. Live for more of Jesus. So are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready to move from comparison in your life? Ready to move from ungratefulness in your life? Are you ready to move from forgetfulness in your life to a place of full devotion in Christ? Because the truth is we all want more. And so may we never forget, Jesus is a knife. Christ is all that we need. So let's seek more and more and more and more of him. He is all that we need. Let's worship, let's reflect, let's live in that truth with eyes focused keenly on Jesus. Let's worship him now. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.